walked in through these very doors in 2013 and I didn't know anybody in this country and I, I didn't know if I was good enough to be here and I, I didn't know if, uh, if anybody would care about a loud-mouthed Irish woman who loved puns and toast but somewhere along the line I, I learned that they did care and they cared so much that they put me on their shoulders and they carried me into history and I will never forget that through injury and triumph it was the fans who stood up for me who had my back and it was the fans who I grabbed onto when I didn't have anybody else and that is why it is the fans it is you at home that the that deserve to hear this from me first that I, ha I have to go away for a while. And as happy as you are to be the champion, I, I might be a little bit happier. So you go and be a warrior, because I'm going to go be a mother. gentlemen hello and welcome to another edition of just what the internet needed more of that's right it's a wrestling podcast it's another wrestling podcast it is called top marks it's another wrestling podcast called top marks my name is justin morissette and with me once again as always is the janitor himself he's cleaning up the messes of the masses josh custodio y you know justin this isn't where i was going to start the show i've got my little show prep out here you know sort of a, a road but as you were doing the intro, I got to call an audible because you told me something last week that that needs addressing on this show. You know what? I know exactly where you're going <laughs> right now, and that's exactly where I was going to go right out of the gate as well. So I'm glad you're doing this. That's a great two braid synergy. Well, why, why don't you just tell them, just hello, welcome to Top Marks, uh, JMO. Why, why don't you tell them what I'm implying here? Well, we are no longer another wrestling podcast called Top Marks. That's right. We are, in fact, the only wrestling Whee! podcast called Top Marks because those other jabronis had deleted their show right off the internet. When you look us up on iTunes, folks, we are the one and only top marks at this point so uh you know what they say in survivor outwit outplay outlast i like <laughs> to think we did all three of those josh i'm very proud of us we are the sole survivor we're the survivor series i like to think we won the rumble hell i like to think we're holding up the belt at the end of wrestlemania because we remain standing not only the whole time this entire run and i don't think anyone would dispute this we were the better top marks. Oh. There's no, there's no denying that easily. And you know what? The, it's it's sad to see that those guys have eff effectively been Benwad. 
<laughs> yeah, they've been erased from All of their episodes have been erased from history. It's, well, it's like so, they never even existed. Well, and it's so bonkers, too, because I, I listened to those episodes. I listened to some of the early ones. Those guys never murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, guess, I guess the more apt comparison would be like uh, they're, they're Marty's siblings in a, in a photo from Back to the Future. Just oh, no. gone. Sorry to be clear, Madman. I just meant because they had never killed on their show. It was so boring and terrible. No, I meant I meant gone. Content wise. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, no, of course. They were obviously the, the Benoit comparisons are good besides that. I just meant those guys had never <laughs> never done anything noteworthy. They won't be remembered. You know? No, of course not. Of course. They were uh, they were not the best to ever do it, uh, whose legacies are tainted and uh, you can't acknowledge any longer either. So that's <laughs> I guess it doesn't track in a couple of different ways. Speaking of tragedies in wrestling, how do you feel about the uh, the Owen Hart episode of Dark Side coming up this week? You watched uh, the trailer today? I did not watch the trailer trailer uh but i i have faith that they're gonna do it well you know like i, I i'm really i've been trying to set up an interview with jason eisner for like the last year but have been really banging that drum again in the last couple of weeks here trying to get him on wrestle central because uh you know i i i slept on this show last year i i caught up on both seasons like all in one run over the last couple months here if i'm being honest josh oh okay i didn't know that i was gonna watch them all if i was you know gonna do an interview with him but it never came together and I wasn't able to get my hands on them because I didn't have Crave until quite recently but right uh you know I there I'm so fascinated by this series because like you could easily say that like the log line or the pitch for it would be like a true crime uh show about wrestling basically mm-hmm. and and that carries with it like uh, a good amount of sleaze i think the the natural assumption when it comes to true crime i don't think people think of like the high production value kind of uh arty versions of that i think they mostly think of you know shows like forensic files quick and dirty tv that's kind of gross and like is is sort of uh you know getting by on the fact that you are feeling uh i don't know if titillated is the right word but you know you're finding entertainment in like real awful tragedy it's tragedy well, sure. porn, basically yeah and i think i think dark side actually uh has a nice groundedness to it and accomplishes that pretty well and i think it like insofar as like to the or rather to the degree of i think when chris jericho is on that show he feels feels kind of like schmaltzy and like he's working in a way that like a lot of other people don't because it's such a sort of stark non-dramatized version of these things and i feel like some of the guys who are like trying to gloss it up or talk really dramatically come across kind of weird in the show's format it's it's something that i really admire about it is how much care is put into the telling of these stories mm-hmm. even when they're awful stories even when they're tragic even when they're about uh you know people getting murdered or people being murderers you know like yeah, there yeah. there's still a level of affection isn't necessarily the right word but i do think there is a good amount of affection in a number of these episodes uh you know maybe not the ones about like a jimmy snooka for example but just kind of lost stories in wrestling history that you know fans especially of you and i's generation might not be familiar with because uh, WWE is the only show in town these days, and unless you're really doing deep digging into Wikipedia, you might never even hear about some of this stuff, because even the ones that involve WWE are negative episodes from their history that they would never bring up, you know? Well, well let's use let's use New Jack as the example for what you're talking about here, because he's, well, maybe not a murderer, in my opinion, definitely a person guilty of attempted murder, 
and yet still, you know, walks the streets, a cultural icon. I saw, you know, the Sandman himself in that documentary sort of laughing it off and being like, yeah, he's crazy. You know? <laughs> I was not impressed with the Sandman in that episode. <laughs> well, what, what do you think the Sandman's going to say about ECW? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did like Sandman in that episode just being like learning that the reason uh, that New Jack attacked Mass Transit was because Mass Transit tried to like pitch getting offense in on him. And Sandman's like, oh, that's why Jack did it? Oh, that makes sense. And like he means it. He's like, he's like, oh, I've always wondered why. There's the, the perfectly logical reason to do that to someone. I get it. Uh, but, but, you know, like when they are telling these stories, even if they are tragedies, I think there's a lot of effort into being kind of like the quintessential telling and making sure that you get everything right. And that does take a lot of effort and that does take a lot of care to, you know, make sure that people are trusting you with their stories and that you have to do right by everyone involved in that because there are a lot of people who are giving you interviews who are you know thought to be on the wrong side of some of these altercations and obviously some of those people come out looking horrible john stossel like what a sleazebag probably like the worst person in any of the episodes so far and that includes like (laughs) attempted murderers like new jack or whatever actual murderers chris benoit (laughs) yes so I, I'm just saying that's a Justin opinion. I'm hey, clear hey, on it's not like Stossel took a lifetime of chair shots to the head to make him the way he is, okay? He's True. just like that. I'm glad to hear you say it's the chair shots and not the steroids. When people say it was the steroids, that drives me a little bonkers. Yes, steroids, I don't like they kill your balls. I don't think they do anything to your brain necessarily. Well- well, it's like, and even if you think they do, okay, so where's all the rampant murder within the bodybuilding industry? Like, what, or what are we talking how about? Come, how come we don't, haven't seen a generation of baseball players become insane murderers? Uh, just just while we're on the topic of the, the documentary filmmaking, Madman, and I do want to say, I think Dark Side is just straight up one of my favorite shows at this point. Like, I think I'm kind of comfortable saying that. Yeah. Like, it's oh, absolute appointment viewing Oh, I look for forward to it every single week, like I said last week on the show. And, you know, I think the point that I was trying to get at there is, like, yes, Owen is a tragic story, and I'm really not looking forward to the overall internet discourse surrounding yeah. what uh, is going to come out of next week's show, but I do trust these guys to tell this story right, even if they are stuck within the confines of you know 46 minutes or however long the shows have to be. Did you catch uh, any of the Undertaker uh, documentary? The answer to the NBA's The Last uh, the last Dance, uh, The Undertaker's The Last Ride. Did you catch episode one of this? I did. I watched it after Money in the Bank. I think that's why Money in the Bank was so short. Mm. You know, like this was a two hour and 23 minute pay-per-view. And part of that is, you know, WWE understanding that maybe people's patience for uh, you know, audience free wrestling is being tried with how much we're subjected to it on a week to week basis. But I really do think it was a strategy on their part as well to try and hook people in with this documentary by ending your pay per view at a time when, like I said about WrestleMania, you know, on a three hour WrestleMania, when it when the show ends, I have energy to watch Drew McIntyre's Chronicle or Becky Lynch's you know, whatever pay-per-view, 24 or what have you. So, uh, Yeah, you, you're not in a p- spot where you're like, oh, more wrestling content is the last thing I desire right exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I did watch the whole thing. I think it repudiated all of my complaints about the Untold series that I had thrown down. Uh, this was exactly the kind of thing I've been hoping for from WWE Network for a long time. 
Uh, I wish Undertaker wasn't wearing such, you know, politically charged conservative <laughs> T-shirts the entire time. But if that's what he wants hat? to do, you know, he can do him. Oh, it's a great contrast to be wearing a pro-cop oh hat with, uh, or rather, an anti-government hat with a pro-cop T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, like, it really is just a real great, uh, not confused message at all there. But yeah, hey, yeah, American badass is right. Other than that, like, I thought it was great. And the number one thing that I came out of it thinking, Josh, and you're going to agree with me here, is like. Roman Reigns comes out of this thing looking so cool and good. Like, the, Joe Anawai is, like, a great guy. And if they could find a way to get his real personality across on television, I have no question that this guy would easily be the top babyface that they've always wanted him to be. They need to, like, get the scripting out of his way and just let him be himself naturally on television. And look, it's not like that's an impossible thing to ask. We saw it this week with the most unsuspecting of people. People, yes, Jinder Mahal. Jinder Mahal oh, had a great babyface promo this week. He came off so natural. He came off uh, with uh, as a guy with kind of magnetic charisma. I saw more in Jinder in his promo this week than I think I've ever seen from the guy in any situation prior. Uh, I, I don't know if I fully agree with that. Only, but only, only in the other direction. Insofar as I think Jinder's just kind of an underrated promo in general. Like, and we haven't seen like a ton of the the babyface side of it. Um, but I want to go a couple steps back to the last ride, JMO, before before we get here, because I absolutely agree that the big dog Roman Reigns comes across as a super cool dog, and I absolutely agree that he needs to be unleashed. But I actually don't agree, and again, I'm on crazy pills, because I, I know everyone else loves this documentary. I actually had some issue with the last ride, and and I, I'd like you to tell me that I'm crazy and set me straight okay. if, if I can. Go on, yeah. I, I think Taker comes off kind of tragic in it because, you know, he keeps talking about not wanting to become a parody of himself, <laughs> and us in the future know that he has become that, you know? Like, yes, but, but they never address that. They act like the Roman Reigns match was this great match and that it was this moment for no, him. No, I don't know that that's true. They do include, like real close-up video of the failed tombstone attempt, which is a real big blemish on that match in general. Agreed. And they do go into it with Taker knowing full well that his body is not right and that he is going to embarrass himself in this match. I, I was happy to see that, and like you say, but where is the interview after the match being like, wow, I, or him even just being honest, being like, wow, we... That is one of the worst WrestleMania main events I can think of. We really screwed the pooch. Like, that's what the Last Dance version would be. Michael Jordan's teammates are telling you that he was an asshole over on the Last Dance. And here over on the Last Ride, it's like they're, they're flirting these lines. Like, again, it feels like this... this you're three quarters of the way there, but you won't jump all in all the way. Yeah, I, feel, I felt like Edge had the best uh, interview of the bunch. Um, we're talking about how, like, you know, you, you can say that... You want to uh, go out before it's too late, or you know, before your your time has passed. But how do you know when that time arrives? And and even as an opponent, or a peer, or a colleague, or a friend, uh, who are you to tell him that that time has already come and gone? You know, he has to make that decision on his own. Uh, I thought that was great stuff from Edge, and I, my I I get that, but you can't keep saying this guy loves the business and puts everything before the business. He knows the business, da 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 da, and then have him go out and do things that just run absolutely counterintuitive to it. Yeah, true, fair. It, it really just kept slamming me in the face. It's like this isn't what happened. Like 
it, it was horrible. <laughs> they got booed out of the building, which they didn't even remotely acknowledge. They don't play any That's of the audio true. from the match going on. Like, I don't think people remember how bad that match was or how it was received. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the eight-hour manias, right? Especially if you're drinking during them. You really come <laughs> out of them with, like, no memory whatsoever of how the main event went or what it even was or, you know, so on, etc. There have been some like, real Undertaker stinker gets main booed events. at that mania. Like, they're, the match is getting booed. It's not like, oh, there was a couple bad spots, but they pulled it out. It was like a gaffe. It was, it was like the moment where we were like, the dead man is dead, yeah, or maybe he, alive if it works in that yeah, way. Yeah, he can't do this anymore, basically. Yeah, like it, it was the moment we saw him die, you know? At the same point, uh, at the same time, though, uh, there's still, I don't even know how many episodes left in this thing. They're all going to drop this more? coming Sunday. I hope that that is addressed in episode two, because I did feel like the end of the Roman match was kind of the climax of that episode, right? So You're right. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm complaining too much about the framing of it, and they're going to explore it a bit more. I just felt like as they were showing that match, I was like, ah, I'm not so sure about this. But, you know, I, I do think they're going to have to address that, because, you know, something like uh, uh, the Graveyard Dogs or whatever, you know, when he was rushed into that tag team uh, with, oh, with, right. with Roman after the, the awful Saudi match with Goldberg, it's because he wanted to wash the taste of that match out of everyone's minds as quick as can be. It's the same reason Goldberg wrestled Ziggler at SummerSlam, right? Like, you have to acknowledge the reasoning for why that came together, which is this was an awful match and I don't want anyone uh, to have this as their lasting memory of me. Well, and that's right. And, and how often do you even, you know, <laughs> the fact that he's even in that position, I feel like proves my point, but I don't want to talk in circles on it, you know. No, it, yeah, it, right. If that's happening, you did hold on too long. For, Look, well, he for sure did. There's no arguing that, really. Uh, and like he still even, is. Because there's talk him, this week, sorry. Josh, about... Uh, them building towards a traditional one-on-one -on -one wrestling match right now between Taker and AJ Styles at some point down the line. That's why they keep hammering the AJ-Taker relationship on television constantly. Well, again, we, we've had this discussion lots on this show, but if they're going to have him wrestle somebody, I'm glad to hear it's somebody like AJ Styles, not somebody who is huge yeah and wants work power so i guess that's good i listen i i would love to have my mind change i'd love to be blown away by the the last ride i think it's just that i'm watching the last dance i'm so impressed by it and it's hard to not just directly compare them and i do feel like i'm just getting a shade more information out of the last dance which is executive produced or maybe just produced by michael jordan i can't remember if it's executive produced yeah is executive so i mean I don't know. You know what I mean? Am I way off on this? I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't seen seven and eight of The Last Dance yet, and I've heard oh. that that really does kind of, uh, you know, not go as hard on Michael as it probably should, which probably is a reflection of him being producer. But that's just what I've heard. I haven't seen those episodes yet. Um, I do have two more thoughts, though, on The Last Ride before we wrap up, which sure. is watching it, it's more clear to me now than ever that, like, when it comes time to say goodbye, you have to, uh, you know, combine the two. The fact that the two standouts of this year's Mania were the two cinematic matches that were headed by Bray Wyatt and The Undertaker, to me, 
is more clear than ever that Taker's goodbye match has to be a melding of those two concepts, Taker versus The Fiend, with The Fiend disappearing him in the exact same way he did to John Cena. And that's it. That's the last we ever see of Undertaker. And it would also completely redeem their feud uh, from 2014 WrestleMania 30 as well. That's my, my, one of my thoughts, and you can react to that if you want. Uh, I like it. Uh, I, I think we've talked about many times how I think Undertaker, if it's not Bray, putting over somebody supernatural on the way out is the way to go. But I really do think that Buried Alive or Coffin is still should be Undertaker's uh, last match. I think he goes down Buried Alive or he goes down in the coffin. I think that's the, the best closing of the book. And your options are really Bray Wyatt or Aleister Black. There's nobody else who really is up to that task, I don't think. What um, about the, the Irish fella? I guess you could do Finn Balor as well. Yeah, he's he's been on NXT for so long, I forgot he existed <laughs> for a second there. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody asked this week, are we going to call up Finn Balor to the main roster one of these <laughs> days? You know, this guy, I think they see some promise in him. Uh, my man, my, man, you, oh, my sorry, final ahead. thought before we move on uh, is that, you know, we talked last week about uh, WWE making better use of their archival footage and having all this tape that they've been sitting on for ages, you know, the kind of things that people are lauding the last dance for, for, you know, having all this access, having this video that nobody else has ever seen before, nobody else would ever have access to. WWE has all of that stuff, and we got a glimpse of it, yeah. a very tiny glimpse of it in episode one of The Last Ride. I think you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. It's Undertaker and Kurt Angle backstage in between filming a backstage segment. The camera is rolling the whole time. For a little bit, it's Taker like getting a new t-shirt that just arrived from the merch factory, and he gives a bunch of them to Kurt for some reason. I don't know if <laughs> Kurt had like kids that wanted them or what have you yeah and then it's just the two of them sitting on a couch in a backstage area where they i filmed their segment and taker starts giving him like real advice and sarcastic advice and they have like a shared laugh and it's a very candid moment for both of them that's the kind of shit that i want to see all the time and the fact that we even got a taste of it i thought it was fantastic yeah, I think that was the best part of the whole thing, to be honest. Like, that that was the part of the... But it's because it's real. Like, that's... I like Undertaker being like, oh, I'm glad to hear you're learning to, you know, work smarter, not harder. Yeah, it's exactly. Like that, that seems like big guy locker room leader Undertaker ethos. Like, that's in step with... with you might have I a future in this business in the end, kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is absolutely hilarious. Um, Madman, let's move on. You watched uh, The Last Ride, and you watched it after Money in the Bank, a pay-per-view that we both took in on uh, Sunday evening, uh, put on by World Wrestling Entertainment. And, uh, J-Mo, where were you going into Money in the Bank? Were you excited for this thing? I was excited, if only so we wouldn't hear that song anymore. <laughs> what song? <laughs> they want from me is all that money, 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 money. Gotta get that money, 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 money. Oh, yeah. That song. Sorry, J-Mo, I, I have to apologize here. Haley was talking to me there for a second. I, I took my headphones out. What song are you talking about? The song that goes like, They want from me all that money, 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 money. Gotta get that money, 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 money. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Madman. I, 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 really, I gotta apologize here. Was that... <laughs> 
I, I stepped away from the mic. That the cat internet was just cut out on you for yeah, a second there. You know, you know how it goes here, Corey. We're all online. The stuff. Just one more time. I'm fully tuned in here. What all, song? All right, one more time, but okay. only because this adheres to the comedic rule of threes. I will not do it another time after that. But yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm tuned in. For number time three. all that money, 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 money. Gotta get that money, 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 money. Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry. I'm just doing the show. Uh, J-Mo, J- sorry, one sec. Are you are you still there, bud? Were you talking to Haley while I was doing the song, bud? I was, yeah. We you had, you we had... queued me up to do it. Yeah, How? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm not doing it again, all right? It's time it. for us it. to move on. No, 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 no. Don't move on. I, got, I, I promise you there is nothing that could possibly take me away from it this time. I am 100%. Zero. I need to know what song you're talking about. They want from me is all that yeah. money, 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 money. Gotta get that money, 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 money. 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 Oh yeah. I love that song. <sighs> what were you saying about it? I'm glad to be done with it. Um, that Which was one? my primary excitement for the weekend was to just never have to hear this song, hopefully ever again, and at the very least not for another eleven months. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird that you brought up the song then. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, almost it's like a... I know what makes for good comedy on the show. <laughs> not a chance, uh, Madman. I, I got to be honest. As the the weekend approached, my my anticipation was much more focused on the the UFC side of the card and sort of with money in the bank is like oh yeah that'll be a nice sort of dinner mint after uh, what i'm really looking forward to on saturday night well how was my uh, or rather how was the ufc because you and i talked about it last week and i told you that i had interest beyond what i would for an ordinary ufc thing i gotta tell you josh as soon as the fighter tested positive for covid <laughs> my interest fell off a cliff but <laughs> no that's extremely fair uh, again, I don't care if anyone in Florida gets COVID. I think uh, if you just got to saw that state off the country and make it an island and then all this becomes a non-problem. Uh, no, I, I, of course, had a moral issue with it once uh, Jacare Souza popped. Uh, I, I can't review the whole show here, man. I mean, we got pro wrestling to talk about. Of course, about. of course. Just was it a, did it live up to the hype? Yes, it was, a, it was a wonderful show, chock full of violence from the, the open to the close. Did it do the kind of buys that UFC was hoping it would do? No. Okay. But it did big numbers, but not, it wasn't a smash hit. Yeah. It, but it did big for, it did bigger than I thought. 700K buys, it sounds well, like. Well, that was a, my main interest was how much, you know, is is their expectation versus reality going to be different? Because yeah. uh, that's the big question with Double or Nothing right now, right? Like, I think AEW is doing a great job. I've really enjoyed the TV for the last several months, but, you know... <laughs> Uh, who's going to buy this thing? I, I really have a lot of doubt about it. But we don't have to worry about that with, of course, something like Money in the Bank because everybody's uh, sharing a network account with one of their friends anyways. <laughs> well, and that that really does. It, you can't help but think of Double or Nothing the week after, thinking, you know, how five of us were watching Money in the Bank, presumably at the same time from our houses for, you know, way less money. That is part of the buying decision. It's hard to, it's hard to separate them, at least for me. Yeah, it but, cost us each $3 to watch. Yeah, money in the bank relative to what forty or something for no, double I think or nothing. fifty Canadian. My goodness, 
it's a big ask at this time. But but we'll talk about that more as we preview uh, uh, that show coming up. The pay-per-view, which name I know. Double or Nothing, is that right? That's true, yeah. All right, there we go. Uh, J-Mo, talk to me a little bit about Money in the Bank. Let's get into it. Did you did you watch the entire show? Uh, I did, yes. I didn't watch the pre-show. Uh, I missed Neither. that, which is kind of weird that they would put Jeff Hardy in that position, if only because I feel like they've been trying to make him feel like a really big deal babyface on SmackDown for the last month. Yeah. And to just drop him into a, a randomly thrown-together match with Cesaro that was announced less than 24 hours before the show <laughs> feels bizarre to me a little bit. But, uh, hey, uh, from all accounts, it was one of the better matches of the show. It certainly got some of the most time, and that doesn't say a lot because it was only 13 minutes. But Yeah, I actually went back and watched this match afterwards because uh, people in our chat were saying that it was good. Yeah, I, I still haven't done it because, uh, you know, Listen, don't don't go out of your the way. full hour of that pre-show was our our buddy, our pal Scott Stanford with Peter Rosenberg going over the exact same top 10 moments from Money in the Bank that they had already played on both SmackDown and Raw. <laughs> so, well, but hang on. This time it was hosted by our buddy, our pal Scott Stanford, who I unironically do love. That's so true. Let's... So Gil was thrilled, but the, the <laughs> yeah, rest of us maybe not so much to see the exact same content for the third time in one week. They are really scraping the bottom of the barrel as far as things they can show right now. Well, then let's start by talking about the opener, JMO. Uh, the New Day taking on and defeating the Forgotten Sons, uh, Miz and Morrison. And Lucha House Party here represented by Grand Metalik and Lince Dorado. Uh, a very good match, you know? Yeah, hot opener. Right right match in the right place. And and these guys have been given her for the last several months all the time, both on WrestleMania and the weekly television. Uh, I think a take of mine that is aging very, very well is that John Morrison is like one of the low-key MVPs of SmackDown at the moment because... He continues to deliver in the ring in a way that I did not expect from him at all coming into this run because you and I have talked about it before, whether he was in an impact or whether he was in Lucha Underground, a very charismatic, entertaining guy, but not the best worker by any stretch. I think yeah. he's been great lately. Really? He, maybe I'll, I'll look a little closer at him. He hasn't, like, a, not to say bad or good, but he hasn't, like, especially stood out to me. But I'll, I'll keep a, I'll keep an eye out and watch for that the, now. The MVPs of this match, to me, were John Morrison and especially both of the dudes in Lucha House Party. Uh, yeah, I, mean, it, I, I think. It's wild that it took a long-term injury to Kalisto for both Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik to get the shine that they deserve. And, uh, you know, I've been a big Metalik fan, right, going all the way back to the Cruiserweight Classic. Never really saw much in Dorado, but even he has impressed me over the last couple months. Yeah, it's nice to see Grand Metalik getting some some TV time. Like you, uh, Lince Dorado is not somebody who I have a very strong opinion on in one way or the other. Uh, but like you, Grand Metalik, I, I always think to that spot that TJP will only do with him, where he he does the Hurricanrana from the top rope to the inside of the ring, and then Grand Metalik like handsprings to the outside. Mm -hmm. It's such an absurdly huge, coordinated, ridiculous spot that is not normally sort of in my wheelhouse. 
But it was so impressive that they could do it and execute it and make it look like sort of flowing. It just involved so much. That's always my opinion of Grand Metal League. Well, it's like TJP would do that nutso move with it. I mean, think of the move that leads to the finish of this match. It's like a reverse Spanish fly to the outside yeah, that's yeah. executed by Grand Metal League and my man John Morrison, where they're in position to do the Spanish fly flip into the ring, but it's like Morrison catches it and reverses and is the one executing the maneuver as like a flipping rock bottom essentially to the outside i thought it was amazing uh and kudos to both guys for doing something that i've never really seen before honestly yeah it was cool i i liked i liked this match it didn't overstay its welcome i'm never gonna be able to get into the forgotten sons but i mean uh, they're only here because of the uso injury and yeah and they were fine like they they weren't the stars of this match or anything but they didn't embarrass themselves yeah, they're like, or anything. They're, they're quality like putty patrol to have in your tag division i guess you know yeah they're you know they don't do anything for if me, they though, got you know? cut during the layoffs i don't know that anyone would have complained at all but or would anyone have even remembered? <laughs> but okay, but speaking on. of not remembering, though, like that's oh. this is something too because I talked about this on Wrestle Central on Sunday night. This was a good match, and coming up, we're going to talk about Seth and Drew as well, which was a very good match. But I don't know that having a good match like means a lot right now. You know, even in light of. Those guys working their asses off on this show. Am I going to remember those matches at all three weeks from now? And I really don't think the answer is yes. So here's what's interesting. Because I said uh, the other day, or the other week maybe, that I just didn't think it was possible for empty arena matches to hit even close to the same tier as audience matches. At least for me and how I enjoy them. Like I can like them still more or less, but they're hard to even compare to audience ones. But then I got to thinking, because I've been watching a, a great deal of uh, old New Japan content during this this quarantine. Kevin Kelly's been hard at work doing commentary on all these classic matches. That's right. And and I start to wonder, you know, because the audience is quieter there, and I associate those matches with, you know, an echoier, smaller arena, I wonder if New Japan might be able to pull this off a little nicer. What do you think? Yeah, probably. Uh, the vibe will be less different, at least. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, I do think that they could probably come back in the next month if they really wanted to without an audience. Especially because, like, I don't know. I, I mean, Live Gate, I would imagine, drives a lot of their revenue, certainly in Japan. But, like, their subscriber base in North America has never been larger. Like, they are. Uh, largely a online digital content based company to a significant portion of their audience like for sure i do think it is worthwhile for them to do empty arena shows if they feel comfortable doing that well uh, and but, they you know it's to their credit i think as well that to. they might not be new japan put out a statement this weekend sometimes man recording these at distance is tricky i know i stepped all over you there no it's email. okay it's okay uh but uh new japan did put out a statement this week saying that as soon as the state of emergency ends in japan they'll be running empty arena shows well that's good because you shouldn't uh disguise yourself as an essential service during an actual emergency yeah, no so, kidding so good for them and uh you know uh tanahashi had like the greatest quotes about this saying that I hope wrestling is the last thing to come back, you know? Like, we are the least important thing here. Like, Go Ace. We, we can take the time. It's totally fine. And, yeah, that was that might have been the biggest babyface moment of, of me watching Ace at this point. <laughs> I, I had to love him hearing that. So, yeah. I, I hate to correct you so instantly, JMO, but I just know that isn't the case. I know it. <laughs> it has to be uh, at uh, Wrestle Kingdom this year when you were in my living room. 
and he dresses up as the pain maker and fronts that band. Oh yeah. And sings a promo at Chris Jericho. That was the greatest thing that's garage. ever happened. Yes. I feel like people have forgotten or maybe it just wasn't that big of a deal. I can only speak to our living room, but we thought that was close to the greatest thing we'd ever seen. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and you know why I think I've forgotten that is that like uh, the two night system might have not entirely benefited New Japan. Like it was super fun, but that whole weekend just blends together in my mind. In part because we were very inebriated as we watched both shows. Sure, but uh, hey, like it was, I like it, the two nights. Yeah, I, 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 I don't mind it, and especially because like they do all these shows that are over like multiple nights of a weekend throughout the year. Anyways, it doesn't, you know. Yeah, you're just calling it the same thing. Exactly. Now, exactly. listen, can they do it again without the double dash gold tournament? Because that that does feel like a you know sort of perfect for a two nighter. I don't know, but I, you know, I. I trust New Japan. Let, let them fly. Before we move on, though, Josh, yeah. I do want to circle back to something that you and I talked about last week because another wild coincidence happened as soon as we were finished recording. Oh, what's that? You and I had talked about the idea of using fake piped-in audience noise exactly like they used to on the pre-taped SmackDown shows. Oh, and yeah. as soon as we were done recording last week, I was called into my roommate's bedroom to show me uh, tape Uh-oh. that he was watching. Oh, he works okay. as a hockey scout. Uh, so he wa- watches a lot of tape on players from all around the world. And he was watching KHL hockey from Russia well, where they were playing in an empty arena in like the final stretch of games before uh, play was shut down. They were playing in front of no crowd. But what they were doing was exactly what you had suggested, piping in audience noise in the arena to make it sound like there were people there. You don't say. And you know what? It played really, really well to the point where I can't imagine watching it without that. Like, it would be so unnerving to just have dead silence. And that's something that did affect this pay-per-view for me, I have to say. Yeah, it. You, there's just no two ways around it, right? It, it does seep into every single portion of it. When we're talking about how Dynamite's doing, how Raw's doing, how Money in the Bank's doing, it's obviously within the context of the parameters they're working between. These are not better shows than with people there. It's, it's impossible, you know? Now, okay, it might be better than some of the worst pay-per-views, but, I mean, they're working within, you know, weird parameters. Oh, for sure. But let's talk about them giving a kick at the can with that as Bobby Lashley trounced our guy R-Truth in 90 seconds. But uh, there was some fun to be had here, I thought, Madman. How about you? Yeah, this was to set up the relationship between Lashley and MVP that continued to blossom on Raw. And I'm all for it, man. Uh, you know, I Lana's overacting is not really working as well for me without Rusev being the babyface on the other side of it, to be perfectly honest. Sure. So if they want to break up that pairing, I have no idea where Lana goes from here, but I also don't really care. Like, You, well, you don't like, think Lana's going to be a single star? Lashley should be <laughs> something, you know? Like, you and I saw something in him watching Slammiversary years ago before he even came back to WWE. WWE. Like he had a yeah, great match against we, Alberto eh? Del Rio. It was super fun. Not and just that, the EC3 one right before, he had two good pay-per-views back-to-back. I was hot on him coming back. But we were talking about a different guy. We were talking about this this heel destroyer that was going to come on and be hot-shotted right into a Brock Lesnar feud. 
but they could still do that right now. You could still build to that and have somebody else take care of the one thing Lashley can't do, and that's promo. And look, they could have done this last year when Leo Rush was with him, but, you know, Leo got himself in trouble and that partnership came to an end. I do think MVP is a really good fit for him. I do think MVP is really, really good at promos and really, really good at talking. And if he's going to be the front man for a heel stable of big boys that involves Bobby Lashley and Brendan Vink and Shane Thorne and, you know, maybe even Apollo Crews. I have all kinds of time for that. You, you know what uh, What I might do to help Bobby Lashley? What? We got we to gotta get this guy, because I, I gather he really loves his family. We got to somehow get across that this guy, Bobby Lashley, loves his family on TV. I think that'll, that people will really respond to that. Yeah, th- maybe if we could like get his sisters to come mm. on and talk about you know what, what growing up with him was mm. like. We might have something there. That was one of the all-time dumbest fucking things on wrestling television. What if he ran an obstacle course as well to show his like army training? Don't you think that could work? <laughs> well, I actually did like that. If you remember, <laughs> I liked the Bobby Lashley doing the obstacle course. I yeah. remember being like, wow, this guy can really jump high yeah you and no one else yeah well you you watching bobby lashley run an obstacle course is like me watching midian run the ropes in 1999 hang on midian running the ropes is good yeah you're right it is the same thing (laughs) they're both awesome doing awesome things just being awed by this like one element of an otherwise lousy performer's talent set well, man, man, you just said the words lousy performer. So let me transition here to Tamina challenging for uh, Bailey's WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. Before we get there, can I also address the other side of that match real quick? Which I side? D- uh, the R-Truth side. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I do like that they are realizing, I, I think the moral of this pay-per-view to me, and we'll get there when we get into the later matches, certainly Braun and Bray, like you have to do weird stuff. You have to be more character-driven. You have to lean into the entertainment side to make stuff stand out right now, whether that's edited matches, whether that's puppetry, whether that's, you know, R-Truth playing two characters at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, there is, there was something about certainly the six-man tag that they ran on Raw the next night that was very entertaining to me. I do think it's not a bad idea in this era of wrestling to make our truth a more featured player than he is. Yep, nope, makes sense to me. Push the character, guys, and who better at that than our truth? Jamo, tell me let's a little bit about Bailey versus Tamina. I thought I thought this is easily Tamina's best singles match of her career. And by that I mean I can't think of another Tamina singles match. Uh Mike was saying in our chat last week that Paige and Tamina had a classic in twenty fourteen. That sounds impossible. If I, I'm gonna go watch this match, if I or anyone would describe it as a classic, I will be honest. He said it was like the best women's match of that era. So uh, it has a lot to live up to. I've traditionally never liked Tamina. I thought this match was totally passable. And uh, Sasha Banks' wardrobe. Good golly, Miss Molly. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he's got to say about that. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I was expecting it to be absolute dog shit, and it was merely boring. There was a so... really great sequence on the outside where Tam- uh, Tamina picked up Bailey and threw her onto yeah. the apron and hit the ropes, and Bailey bounced back onto the floor and ate a clothesline. There were also bad sequences in this match as well, but I don't know that I've ever seen a sequence from Tamina that I enjoyed as much as that. Yeah, so there we go. Good, good on you, Tamina. Uh, 
Jamo, I got to tell you, I loved this next one. I think this next one, like you sort of teased, there's a, a shining example of a good way to uh, to not only do an empty arena match, but to give some dimension to your character within a match. And of course, I'm talking about Braun Strowman taking on not The Fiend, but rather his his former cult leader, Bray Wyatt here, who, who rather than trying to fight Braun Strowman at the beginning of this match, is rather trying to recruit him or remind him of the good old days. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really enjoyed this. Uh, oh, me too. I know that uh, that was not a popular opinion with our friends who uh, oh, responded really? to "You got to be kidding me" when I said I really liked that match. Who was that? Uh, Name that be, them. That would be Eric Hartman. Uh, oh. Old Ricky Hartman did uh, did not enjoy <laughs> what Bray oh. and Braun were offering. But hey, I can't I'm a shoot huge, on Eric. I'm a huge uh, Wyatt family mark, so obviously I was going to enjoy this. And I will admit, it was a bit of a slog to get to the portion of the match where Bray started to get on top and the puppets came out. But once that stuff started, I thought this was just great. Uh, this whole thing was my match of the night. I uh, I thought this was, was uh, I should say for the actual matches, um, I thought this was really fun. Uh, I thought it gave, Braun is like, you just see as this sort of like, forward marauding meathead the Strowman express three spots and i'm not saying that's even bad but you just sort of think of him as this one thing and i thought it, this was like kind of a cool combination of what him and bray wyatt's matches might look like like it felt a little bit of Braun, it felt a little bit of bray and i felt like once it got going i was learning more about Braun Strowman, some actual character evolution and why not do that in empty arena when we can hear the open dialogue i i just thought this was really good stuff or at least like if you're gonna have a Braun Strowman uh, title run, you gotta make the guy more than just the strongest dude who yells. And if you're gonna have a Bray versus Braun match, I don't really know how you do it better than this. Yeah, and you had to know coming into the weekend that this was just going to be chapter one of a longer term feud between these guys that eventually climaxes with the fiend versus braun Strowman. yeah and i don't know that you need to head in that direction right away i think you know bray can scamper off and lick his wounds for a while and go in a different direction and the same with braun and then you come back to this at SummerSlam, like that should be a very big match. That should not be something that you're barreling towards for for the June pay-per-view backlash or whatever it is. You know, like this is something that's going to take time. And uh, if this is the opening chapter, I'm excited for where this is going eventually. I don't really feel like this feud clicked on television in the lead up the way necessarily I would have liked. But like we said last week, you have to be so understanding of the fact that, like, this was never the plan. Braun was not the plan. Bray was not the plan. Like, they are audibling everything right now. And it can lead to something great if they, you know, give it the time to get there. Absolutely. Uh, can I tell you what I'd do here? Sure. Uh, I would I would have, like you say, I don't go back to this till SummerSlam. That's my SummerSlam main event is Fiend and Braun. But oh, in the absolutely. interim... Absolutely. I find some some mid-carder for Bray Wyatt to feud with. Again, still not The Fiend. Somebody that we're all thinking Bray Wyatt's going to beat, like a, an elevation feud. Mm-hmm. But then you have the match actually start, and Bray Wyatt is still doing like his funhouse thing, and he's losing, and he somehow is losing this match, this mid-carder. Like he's, he's barely kicking out, maybe does a rollout, and the lights go out. And the Fiend forces himself into Bray Wyatt. He's like, I'm done losing. And mid-match, 
Bray Wyatt rolls under, lights out, and you have him become the Fiend in the match. And you have the Fiend instantly demolish this mid-carder in like a moment. And then just point or pick up the black mask that Braun Strowman threw out. Something like that. Something that signifies, now it's me and Braun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like that. I, I like that we both have this pegged as the SummerSlam main event. Yeah, and I mean, it feels it feels like the the way we got to go. Though, you Jim, know what, you... though? Okay. It, the way things are going, if they are able to run a show with a crowd, which they definitely won't be, but I think the plan was to have Bailey and, and Sasha main event that show in Boston. Oh, that's a great call, actually. I love that. Or maybe Gronk was supposed to be in the main event. Who fucking knows? <laughs> well, that I love even more. The Fiend versus Gronk. Who doesn't want Rob Va- Gronkowski versus The Fiend? That feels that feels like big money to me. Uh, absolutely. That's major. That's crossover. Like, that's I, a pop I'm struggling culture to think smash. Of, can you, and I'm not talking about within the world of wrestling. I'm talking about within the world. Can you think of more opposite energies than Rob Gronkowski and The Fiend? Um... No, not really. <laughs> not yeah, I think really. they might be like the exact, the, yeah. the two very least. Maybe we'll uh, make what's... it a tag match, throw Carl Malone in there somehow. Like, <laughs> the mailman can work, bud. The mailman can work. He was good. I don't know how he you never did You don't need to tell me. Again. We've talked about this on the show. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Shout to me about it. I, I'm well aware. I think he's great. <laughs> Go tell someone who doesn't agree he's with He's a natural. He was the D'Angelo Williams of his day. Worse than D'Angelo Williams. People people don't want to talk about D'Angelo Williams. D'Angelo Williams might be like the greatest overperformer in the history of wrestling. He was the best part of that match. He was the best part of that entire pay-per-view, bud. <laughs> he might have been. Uh, J-Mo, let's get to it because I, I think the, the people want to hear me uh, shit all over Seth Rollins here. I'm not going to do it because I was pleasantly surprised by the, the Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre match here for your universal title. Yeah, it was it was good. It took me a little while to get into it. Again, I'm just like fatigued by the the empty arena. I feel like, and there was a a really noticeable moment for me before this match started that I found like genuinely unnerving. What's that? They have the WWE Championship graphic up on the screen. The ring announcer has just finished announcing the names and you know the birthplaces and weights of both of our competitors. Editors. The graphic is up on the screen. We've got that overhead shot of both guys in the ring. And there was probably six seconds of absolute dead silence. Not a single <laughs> sound. Nothing. Just nothing. And it was like, if even if I was on my phone at the time, I would have like sat up and looked at the TV like, what is happening? Uh, maybe that's like the radio producer in me who's just like constantly uh, unnerved by any gap of silence. But, yeah, dead uh, air is your your you're triggered by. It. I, I I had a hard time getting into the match after that. I found it very like unsettling, honestly. <laughs> that's I can understand that, man. Like it's not it's not easy to settle in with this, but I really do feel like these guys went out there with the very clear idea to like put on a match of the night and go hard and give Drew some shine and do the best they could with the circumstances presented. I thought Seth Rollins just kind of went off here in the the sort of second third of this match, just selling like a madman for Drew McIntyre, making him look like a million bucks. I thought it was really cool, though. The step big boot, I mean, big cast could never. Seth Rollins just selling that with a spiral. I thought it was a really cool, hard-hitting, empty arena match. It was a very good match, honestly. But again, the exact same thing like I said about the Usos, or rather the the New Day tag match off the hop. Like, am I going to remember this in three weeks? I don't know that the answer is yes, you know? 
You know what match I still think about? Which one I do remember after all these weeks? What? And this is so dumb, and no one's going to like this, but it's Mox and Hager for some reason. Okay. It really just is the match that I feel like capitalized on how to do these empty ones. And it, granted, Mox and Hager's characters helped them with that. I mean, Hager, probably the worst single wrestler of any of these people we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I do just feel like they, I don't know, maybe Mox is just one. Well, actually, I'm going to use this as an answer for a question later, so I'm just going to expand on it a little bit okay. Uh, then. Okay, well, I, I will say the the surprise, like most memorable match for me over the last couple months of empty shows or empty arena shows, and I brought it up last week as well, Alistair Black versus Apollo Crews, three-segment oh, yeah. match on Raw. I thought it was fucking great, honestly. Yeah, that, that was great, too. And, I agree. And it really does stand out in my mind. I don't know if that's just because I don't expect anything from Apollo at this point, and I I was so surprised or what, but I thought that match was really very good. Awesome. All right, we got to talk about it, Mad Manus. Everyone in the company was in this next match. I'm not even going to read all their names. Uh, 400 people competing for uh, both Money in the Bank contracts uh, in Titan Towers. J-Mo, I'm not even sure how to best begin breaking down this match. Do you think you, the natural play-by-play man, could could maybe take lead on this? Uh, well, the women started in the lobby and the men started in the gym. So we he separated them at the start so they could come together in the middle. Uh, yes. There was a lot of comedy in this match. I thought it mostly landed. I thought the comedy was actually very, very good. <laughs> Except for maybe like... Uh, like Otis and Nia fat jokes during yeah. the food fight, perhaps that was a little questionable. Uh, you get on it? Their part. You know why Nia and o- Otis like to eat, right? Nia and Otis. Nia and Otis. You know why they like to eat, right? Jmo. Of course, of course. But You're... I did. I did love with an entire like. A uh, banquet feast, uh, you know, massive dining table before him. True Philly boy, uh, Paul Heyman just wanted to eat a hoagie. In the end. <laughs> I actually thought Heyman was was awesome there, and I thought Otis throwing the pie and hitting Heyman. Yeah, probably it was like a bit of a sign to me that Heyman likes Otis. You know what I mean? Like he's not just going to have anyone do that. I, I thought that 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 was a, a fun moment. Um, yeah. So they're they're battling their way up to the top and at the top on the roof there's a ring and that's where it sort of becomes a more traditional money in the bank match but let's talk about some of the moments going up in titan towers i think a lot of people are talking about baron corbin throwing that weight at the mirror have you heard the dialogue surrounding the spot madman i mean i thought that corbin after he hit the mirror and like looked aghast and just stared at it for like 10 seconds that he had just realized that he had like attempted murder on daniel bryan and was like reckoning with the fact that he just tried to kill someone but no, that would not be what he was reckoning with because he threw two people off the roof of the building half an hour later. Well, did you see that theory on Twitter, though, that like that was him realizing he was okay with it? Oh, okay. No, I did not see that. So I think that's a bit of a deep dive of like, putting your own pieces together to make a story. But I do really like it that he came that close and he was like, Okay, I think I can manage it. I guess and so I can that led kill to him, people. Yeah, and that led to him, like in theory, killing Rey Mysterio and Aleister Black by throwing them off the roof of Titan Towers. Uh, uh, J-Mo, just let me ask you this. What did you think of this match as you were watching it? It was so crazy. It was <laughs> it was the weirdest of the three cinematic matches, I think, so far. because even, It was not weirder than the Firefly Funhouse. But, but Firefly Funhouse was weird in a way that you expected to be weird. You know, like a- anything goes when you enter the mind of Bray Wyatt, to sure. me, I think. There was a lot of like cartoony, goofy stuff in this match. Uh, for a match that you know took place in, in 
in reality in, within the the you know the the confines of the WWE corporate headquarters. Uh, I really enjoyed the majority of the cameos. I think we can both agree there was one real stinker uh, as far as those two, in fact. Oh, but, I'm curious. But Who are the, the the two? The two would be uh, the weird doink that they yeah. just threw in that had no punchline, nothing, and it was obviously not doink. <laughs> yeah, uh, that like, was the one I thought you meant. Who who's the other? Stephanie McMahon, who has never <laughs> been in the same room as Dana Brooke and certainly wasn't this past Sunday. <laughs> yeah, great great tweet by you there. Yeah, for those who who didn't see, uh, Stephanie McMahon and Dana Brooke have an interaction, and I'm using air quotes there. Uh, where Stephanie McMahon is obviously shooting this from a white room somewhere else. On her own cell phone. <laughs> like, it was clearly a selfie video. It It is. It, it was just shit on a stick. It, it was so bad, this scene, that I was surprised it made the final cut. But... Her um, old man, though, brings the heat. And Rey Mysterio in the bathroom running into Brother Love. I thought Pritchard was fantastic. Yeah, I agree with that. I really enjoyed the... I saw a tweet from Brian Gewurz, who I think is widely acknowledged as one of the best writers WWE has ever had. Certainly The Rock's favorite writer when he was there at the time. Uh, Brian tweeted that of all of the things inside the insane Money in the Bank match on Sunday, the one thing that broke his suspension of disbelief was seeing Bruce Pritchard wash his hands in the washroom. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's extraordinary. But I thought Bruce was really funny, and I thought Vince was fantastic as well. The we whole... got to talk about how Vince looks like shit, though. Good Lord. Yeah, he looked terrible. The, Vince the, looked the, 400 the, years old. The death of the XFL has aged the man <laughs> by several decades. <laughs> I, I That's the first time I've ever seen Vince McMahon and been like, Oh, hang on. He's going to die. Vince maybe isn't immortal. He's going to die very soon. Probably. <laughs> he might be he might be dead. Like that is that is in play here. Uh, <laughs> but so they fight their way up to the top. I, I got to tell you JMO, I was into this. I liked it. I and well again, we have a question talking about how we'd book a, a cinematic match coming up. So I'll save some of my thoughts for that in okay. terms of my complaints about this. But I, I worry that the sort of and again, we're early into this, but the hokey cheese funny I don't know that you can just keep going back to the well on that at the main event of every pay-per-view. Yeah. And I don't know that this jumped the shark for me because I did enjoy it, but I was feeling a little in on it, if I'm being honest. I was like, okay, you know what we like, and now you're just going to – I hope you don't run this into the ground like you do, WWE. Well, you know well, what Bri- I mean? Brian felt- and AJ, I thought, handled the Vince moment spectacularly. Like, they were the funny part, right? Like – just being so beholden to the boss that they like stop fighting and become like the most polite employees possible. Yeah, and then call each other cowards <laughs> once they're outside. <laughs> I thought that was really there were moments that were and again, I, I liked this match. I didn't think it was bad or anything. If anything just... though, Josh, I think the Vince moment could have been cartoonier. Like I said sure. at the at the time, I really wished that that segment had ended with him settling back into his desk, turning directly to camera and like uh, you know, a dinosaur or uh, appliance in the Flintstones just shrugging towards the audience like, eh, it's a living. (laughs) I think that would have made the night for me. If I could have just add a wrinkle there, Madman, he absolutely has to turn to the camera and go, Oh, it's such good shit. Okay, yes, I will accept that too. <laughs> so so they get up onto the roof and a sort of match occurs, uh, as much as a match can be with these uh with the edits in it. But uh to grade it as a match is difficult, but I thought I thought I was 
I was at least glad when they went to the ring and got back to something a little bit more nuclear. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, you've also taken care of the problem of having to book some of these competitors to look great, right? Like, yeah. like Shayna, how do you, you know, put her in this match and not have her destroy everyone while well, you remove her from it before you even get to the roof? That's um, a great point. And I did like how uh, the women got there first and they finished their match first, which allowed the ring to be clear for the men to do their thing instead of, like, having 12 people in the ring all at once and it just being pure chaos, right? Yeah, and some who can't connect with the others and whatnot. So let's jump to the finish. Uh, AJ Styles, who we both predicted to win the Money in the Bank, I believe, last week, uh, climbs the ladder, grabs the the suitcase, but oops, old Butterfingers drops it right into the hands of Big Otis. What did you think of this finish? Uh, I love that Otis is the guy. Like, I don't think anyone would have predicted that coming into the weekend, and it's surprising that we wouldn't have because, like, I think outside of AJ, he does make the most sense of anyone to get it. Uh, and really, like, if we talk about money in the bank as an asset to the company, like, what did we complain about with regards to Brock Lesnar last year? Or you complained about I was willing to defend it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we complained about it? I remember some people thinking it was a stroke of genius. That it should be a star-making tool. That you should be using yeah. it to get across someone new. And as much as I think that the briefcase was would perfectly fit AJ Styles and the character that he had during that Undertaker feud... He's a star. He doesn't need that. He's already established. He's working with the fucking Undertaker, for Christ's sake. Like, you know. Yeah, it's, it's on one hand, you know, it's tricky because the only reason neither of us even considered Otis winning the Money in the Bank is because WWE is historically terrible at capitalizing on people getting over or noticing it early. You know, they'll be like three months after they're over. It's like they might have something, you know. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even cross our mind for them to capitalize. So while that said... We do have to give credit where credit's due. They noticed that Otis was getting over. He has something that's resonating, and they decide to go with him. Like, it sounds simple, but that isn't done in WWE as often as it really should be. So kudos to them. I I was happily surprised. Yeah, and in the build-up to the match, you know, Otis already knows that he's won because they've taped it three weeks early. And he was giving interviews saying to the effect that, like, if I'm to win this thing, I'm going to use it so that Tucky and I can cash in for a tag team title shot and and win the tag belts for the first time that way. And that I can see being a big moment and I could get invested in that. And it's an interesting wrinkle, an interesting use of the briefcase that we've never explored before. At the same time, like, what were we just talking about with regards to Bray and Braun? You need to do something to separate these guys until SummerSlam. Is Otis not the perfect guy to do that with, you know? Like... On some level, if you were to do like a three-month feud right now between Otis and uh, Braun, where Otis cashes in and gets the belt, and Braun eventually takes it back right before we head into a uh, a feud with The Fiend, is that not kind of ideal if we were to map out the next several months here, you know? It, it, it depends on your goals. It depends what you're working backwards from. That's definitely one way to, to achieve the goals. I don't know if it's the way to achieve the goal of getting Otis over. I don't know that Otis and Braun together are going to be able to deliver anything that's going to especially help either of them. I think they can have some good moments. I suspect Otis might be able to be one of the few guys on the roster who can hit a power move on Braun. Mm-hmm. But uh, d- Otis and Braun feel like a weird mashup to me. Like... 
if I want Otis and Braun to feud, I want Otis to serious it up a little bit and let these beefcakes throw. Yeah, that's, like, but think, that's what I've been calling for from Otis like all along is for him to feel a little bit more like a normal person and less like a cartoon <laughs> character. I'm uh, not quite ready for that. I think AJ Styles is goofy enough right now as a heel and is a uh, obviously a guy that if you want Otis to have a good match with, I think AJ Styles is probably your in-your-pocket favorite to get that done with. They are on opposite shows, though we did introduce True. the brand Invitational we, I was just week. about to say, yeah. I, I, I suspect those two are going to be together real quick, AJ and Otis. That does make sense, actually, especially because AJ would be pissed about not having the briefcase. I could well, see I think, that I think they're going to make Otis defend the briefcase. That's what I said the the night of. I think they're going to make Otis defend the briefcase against AJ, which nobody's done in a I while. I just feel like everyone was so sure when he won that his his cashing is going to fail, that he's going to be you know one of those guys who does not get it to go when he calls for his shot. Joining Braun and Damian Sandow and Baron, Baron Corbin, Corbin. Um, and I guess John Cena as well. I think. When John- I don't remember. When John used it to call for a match instead of cashing oh, it Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, he lost that match. He did. You're right. Was it um, Punk or RVD? For some reason, I can't remember those two right now, but that's because my memory is horrible. <laughs> for RVD-related reasons, perhaps. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been watching too much of Rob Van Dam. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> following his life mantra of, uh, you know, growing imbibing, a ponytail. imbibing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You think I'm sad about my divorce, JMO? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I saw you in a jacuzzi with uh, multiple different ladies. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That did ruin my memory. Uh, JMO, we got to I don't think that's true, though. I think if he's going to cash in, he's going to win this thing. And I really don't think it's bad to put Otis on the level of someone who can win that belt. Like, what do we talk about with regards to what's different between now and the Attitude Era? You go back to 99, 2000. You and I have talked about this a million times there's at least 10 guys who can conceivably hold that title at any time and one of the big problems with raw in particular over the last several years is like the list of people who could conceivably be universal champion was about three deep you know that's an issue maybe one deep at uh, at points Man, man, I want to make sure we give ourselves lots of time for questions this week because it's a very full mailbag. So I want to put a nice bow here on Money in the Bank. Can you give me a letter grade on the show, top to bottom? Uh, probably a C plus. Like it was fun, and I didn't, uh, I didn't hate it. It never overstayed its welcome, but it didn't stand out to me either. Like when I was done watching it, I couldn't tell if it was good or not. You know. Okay, like, so one more question then: C plus empty arena or C plus by? WWE pay-per-view standards. C-plus by normal standards. I think as an empty arena show, it did succeed. Yeah, I basically am right in the pocket with you. I think it's a a C-plus. Although, you know, it it could even be in, like, B-minus territory, I guess, for a normal pay-per-view, because some are just such stinkers. And like you said, brevity is the beauty. We were in and out of this thing in two and a half hours, which, you know... I can't say it enough. It does just add something to a wrestling show to me. That's about how long I want to be watching wrestling for. Two, two and a half, three hours. It did feel weird to me, though, that we have some hot feuds on the go that were not on this show, though, right? Like, they did Mandy and Sonya on the Friday. They did uh, the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits on Monday. And that's obviously a long-term thing, which who knows when we're going to get that match on pay-per-view. But I'm good with it. Give me the the match as a consequence on television. I'm good with it. Shorter pay-per-views, bigger matches matches on tv just build the matches as like weeks ahead main events to make it feel that way you know what i just brought it up as a criticism but i do agree with you because you do need to make television feel important right now you do need people to feel like their time is not being wasted by these shows 
especially if you're like a Sonya Deville or somebody, you know, it's like and Sonya's been fantastic. She's been on fire. Like let her be like two weeks from now. Sonya's getting her due. She's gonna face Mandy, and that's the main event of SmackDown. Like that's better served than in the the pre-show to a pay-per-view by far to me. I agree. I do agree. And honestly, so, if they put like if they gave twenty minutes to the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders, would I think it was probably the match of the night? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Would I yeah. also be like eh, the pay-per-view dragged a little bit? Yeah. I would probably think that, too. There really is no police in us, is there? <laughs> Jamal, let's get on over into the listener bail. Well, before we, we love- do that, is there, are there questions about Becky? Because I f- think it's weird that we're, uh, you know, 64 minutes into this thing and we've not talked about the biggest news of the week. Madman, you will not believe what I have pulled for the first question oh, this okay, week. Wonderful. It, it is gonna, It is going to blow your mind as Andrew Delbar at A. Delbar asks, with Becky leaving, who will be the next best big female star for WWE? So let's use that as a way to talk about Becky's announcement on Monday Night Raw and who we think is uh, around the corner. Uh, I think it's really sad, man. Um, you know, obviously it's 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 great. She's very thrilled and happy and, uh, you know, it's the moment of a lifetime to probably, you know, have a, a baby that she's always wanted, perhaps. That's fantastic. I thought it was a really touching and fantastic segment on Raw, the speech and, and Asuka's genuine reactions. Uh, but, I, you know, as a big Becky Lynch fan, I can't help but be sad about the fact that, like, one of my favorite performers in all of pro wrestling is going to be gone now for probably at least two years. But boy, leaving on top, there's something to that, man. There is not a lot of people who hang around wrestling the correct amount of time. Becky Lynch is going out on top. Like, do you know how well that's going to age her career? I suspect she'll come back at some period oh, of yeah, time. Oh, yeah, and she's going to be red hot when she does come back because she's got all these open-ended feuds that she's walking away from right now, right? But most people leave this business broken on their back, staring up at the lights. I don't mind seeing a story of somebody who caught fire, met someone she loves, wants to have a family, and it's like, hey, this is important to me. I've hit some heights. It's so much better than if she would go on to lose the title and go on to have like eight minute matches on Raw against nobodies for 10 years. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. I just, you know, I asked the question yeah. on Monday, like, has this ever happened before? And you boys roasted me by saying, like, people having babies happens all the time. <laughs> but what I, I mean I saw is, it. what I mean is, have we ever seen, and I guess like women's wrestling hasn't been a big deal for long enough for this to ever pop up before. To see, like, a star at the height of their power have to walk away because of a pregnancy, like, to me, it's just wild. I don't know that we've ever seen that before. I think it's sort of out there that's why Ronda left, isn't it? Well, the she left she to start to a family. Start... Yeah, yeah. And that's Becky only beat her at that, too. <laughs> Damn, whoa. <laughs> I'm, not the, whoa. I'm not the first person to make that joke. Madman closing the book on the disarmor versus arm bar debate. Good heavens above. But you know <laughs> what? You know what? When she does come back, I hope Rhonda is back by then. And Rhonda has like a good run. And when we are wondering where Rhonda goes from here, we, we get like a surprise Becky Lynch return in the Rumble. And that's, you know, the match that people have wanted to see since the end of Mania last year, you know? Absolutely. How about to the second half of uh, Andrew's question here, JMO? Who uh, who do you think could be somebody filling that that uh, top gal spot on the roster? Who I really think that uh, Rhea could probably handle it. Uh, sure, she seems Great like pick. a natural person to fill that role because she does have that kind of uh, stone cold edge, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great pick. 
I'm going to go slightly different. I I don't know why. And I think you can vouch that I felt this way for a while. I think they got something with Bianca Belair if they do it right. Really? Uh, Yeah, I think Bianca Belair is very charismatic. I think she can appeal to a younger crowd. I think she can put on the matches at least of the caliber of Becky Lynch. I, I think there's there's a lot going for Bianca Belair, and I think with the right push, she could really be your top woman on a show. Especially if, you know, the Street Profits are going to be your top tag team at the same sure. time. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rhea feels like a blue chip, though, to me, like as like a sure bet prospect. Can I uh, make a long shot selection here as well? You can just say the name and not explain it. Shotzi Blackheart. There we go. Okay, Jay Moore, next question this week comes to us from Well Done Hot Dog Bun. It's at Fake Kane, and he asks, How would the good friends handle the future of the WWE video game franchise in wake of tw- 2K2- <laughs> 2K21 2K21 being canceled and the Battlegrounds announcement? Oh, well, I gotta say, Emerson, I love the question. You've asked the right people. I was looking forward to this question more than any in the mailbag this week. And I don't want to go back to something that we have, uh, you know, already sketched out exhaustively in old episodes, Josh. Uh, but I'm still sold on our idea of a WWE kart game in the style of Mario Kart. <laughs> uh, but but that's not it. To me, I would diversify and handle console gaming in the exact same way they have handled mobile gaming. Because if you go onto the App Store right now and search for WWE, you're gonna find like at least ten different things. They have tried to slap their brand on a number of different styles of mobile games. I would so true. I would say that you know the idea of having just one WWE 2K game every year should not be the strategy. You should be releasing uh you know uh a game that is similar to uh what's it called TEW the manager game. Yeah. People love that shit, man. People absolutely go crazy for these Booker Sim-style games. It probably wouldn't take very much effort to create one with an actual WWE license on it. I would make one of those. I would make a kart racer. I would make, uh, you know, a, a party fighter, which it looks like Battlegrounds is going to be. I, I just think about the fact, like, you know, one of the games that I was buying exhaustively as a franchise year after year uh, in my teen years and into my 20s as well was the NHL games from EA Sports. But if you were to ask me what my favorite hockey game ever is, it's the three-on-three NHL arcade game that they put out as like a digital download on the Xbox and PlayStation stores, you know? it was Is a, that the one with the three guys that can be your team? It's like small, medium, and heavy? Uh, you get you get to pick from like a list of 20 or so NHL players and they all have a distinct skill set and size but it's like you get cartoon power-ups in it it's very like Uh, arcadey there's like funny commentary on it when you use your power-ups and you know hit a guy with weapons or what like that's the kind of game that you should be looking at making is not something that's going to be an $80 you know triple-a title dropping every single year but maybe look at the idea of creating a bunch of 20 to $30 digital download style games, especially in an age where people are all over that stuff for Switch, PS4, you know, take your pick of any platform. That kind of game is thriving right now. Yeah, I love that answer. I would play all those <laughs> without question. <laughs> but but you really can also would. like make a, a, a game that is very similar to what you were doing with 2K prior. Okay, you... so let me take over here because that's my sphere here. That's okay. my pitch. Okay. So it's it's similar to, to 2K. But, J-Mo, you and I have been playing these games together for a while, these, these 2K games. And we sure we, have. 
we know that the <laughs> there's fun to be had there, but the core mechanics are loose at best. Clunky. They almost have their own language of clunkiness. Like, mm-hmm. once you're playing it, you're like, okay, I know there's just, like, a button delay on picking up things. We're scrapping all of that. We are making a wrestling game that plays well. But, Josh, how are we going to afford that? Of course, if they could build the engine and still have all the creativity, they would have done that. Guess what? We're dropping all the creativity. We're getting rid of all the create people. This idea that everyone who's ever been on the roster, it's absolutely gone. Because the core mechanic to my 2K game is that it is the exact WWE roster as it is in the moment with live updates based off of position on the card. So every Sunday night, based off of Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, someone in WWE goes and re-ranks and recharacterizes everybody that's on the roster, okay? So that's part one. Part two, you touched on, and this is why their stats are so important. It's going to be heavy on the manager mode. So you're running current WWE with the exact players and pieces as they sign people. That's free DLC, which is going to be doable because they have way less people to build to begin with. That's my idea. I love it. I think I think it would I think that's the way you can scale it down. You can build the better engine and get away from it's like they just don't have these hours obviously to make a zillion components for everything because it all just handles like shit. You should also make a like a game that is intentionally retro, you know? Maybe sure. not necessarily to the extent that you're copying like Fire Pro's aesthetics, but make a game that looks like uh, the old WrestleFest arcade game or the old Royal Rumble arcade game. Not the Sega one, the old, old one from the early 90s. Make something that looks like that, that looks like a, a 16 or 32-bit game, you know, an arcade game style. Like that, what have I been playing for the last week? I've been playing Tonight We Riot, which I bought off of the Switch store for $20. It, it's you know, it looks shitty. It's got very simplistic graphics, but it feels retro and it's super fun. That's all that matters. I don't care what these games look like. I want them to be fun to play. Yeah, most games that I'm playing right now are not uh, anything you'd describe as like super high fidelity quality graphics wise. All right, Madman. Next question here comes to us from our pal Brenny at Just Brenny on Twitter. And he says, fellas, firstly, welcome back. Thank you, Brenny. Thank you, Brenny. Nice to be back. Uh, secondly, who are your top five in five? And what he means by that are the five guys or gals that you feel like will or should be main eventing major promotions come 2025. If we live to see it, he says. Thanks for the great question, Brian. Well, I don't think we will, first of all. <laughs> the way things are going, it certainly doesn't seem that way. Yeah. <laughs> how about you? So I like this question a lot. I, I I did some thinking here. Do you, do you have some people in mind? Uh, Keith Lee has to be on the list. I love that say. answer. Yeah, Keith Lee's a great one. Uh, you give your five. Or do you want me to go first? Let's go back and forth, I feel like. Okay, so you're picking Keith Lee. When we can explain them as they they get longer. I'm going off board with somebody WWE just released. I'm saying Leo Rush has a resurgence. Wow, as a main eventer. As a main eventer. I just don't know that any company is going to position a guy of that size in that spot. Um, you could well be right. I hmm, hmm. I'm going to say Britt Baker because I, I I really sure. I like everything about her right now and if AEW ever wants to lean into positioning the women who uh in the same way that WWE has where it's not inconceivable that they are the biggest thing on a show I I really do feel like watching AEW week to week Britt Baker can be the biggest thing on that show she already is some weeks you know like yeah, she's she's on fire right now so that's uh I, I would lean that way as well 
My next pick here is uh, Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle feels like uh, a blue chipper for absolutely any promotion. It's a little astonishing to me that they're not pushing him right now. He feels ready to me in a way that a lot of his uh, compatriots over there on NXT don't. Matt Riddle. I will pick Andrade Cien Almas. Oh, yeah, I love that. Who just, uh, you know, with every passing year seems to climb up the pecking order one rung at a time. To me, it's a guy that you could have hotshotted into the main event scene right out the gate. But uh, sure. if he has to take his time getting there, I fully believe that he will get there, you know? Absolutely. Uh, he's, he's played the, the political marriage game pretty well, too, for himself. <laughs> so I don't imagine he's going anywhere anytime That's soon. That's the true way to make it in the business. And uh, he's got the talent to be, you know, one of the best of all time, I think, as far as in ring. So uh, I, will, I will go with Andrade. Uh, put me down for uh, Shingo Tagaji. I don't think this will come to uh, anyone's surprise. Uh, he is an absolute breakthrough star. He feels extremely likely to be a future top guy for New Japan, uh, putting on barn burners left and right. He'll have to bulk up a little bit, but you can see him doing that too. Has the charisma, has the sort of physical appeal. I say our big friend Shingo. All right. Um, I'll go Orange Cassidy. As a main eventer. Yeah, I think he can get there. I think he has the charisma to get over to that level, and I think he has legitimately the work rate to shine in that role as well. Uh, you know, the network, especially TNT, loves Orange Cassidy. They intentionally lean into making him the face of a lot of the branding and commercials and so on, etc. I suspect he does great for their socials. Oh, absolutely. And that's going to mean something at some point. You know, there are obviously people who are better technical wrestlers than him ahead of him on that roster at the moment. But I would be shocked if uh, in the next five years we do not see a genuine top guy run from old OC. Yeah, I, I see. I could see him being in a main event, but I don't see him being a main eventer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's like a break glass in case of emergency main eventer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm going even further off board. This one, JMO, uh, taking a real stab in the dark here because it's a long road to climb from where he is to main eventer. But GCW's Alex Zane has everything you'd want in a, in a pro wrestler. He's great in ring, has a really distinct character, a cool look. Uh, has sort of like a early Raven vibe going on too to go with the ring work. Like I feel like it's a a matter of time before the Indies get kind of hip to Alex Zane, and he's at least main eventing those in the the coming bit. All right, my final pick as far as people who will be main event talents by 2025. Uh, you might call this off the board. You might call this the greatest pick I've ever made in any hypothetical question we've ever seen. I, I, wow. I don't know which way I bet I'll do go, neither. Josh. Uh, <laughs> but my picks are Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler. Say yeah! Because I have to think... If AEW really, really wants to be the place that takes tag team wrestling seriously, they have to lean into the fact that their tag division can be, and often might be, their top division on the roster. And I, oh. I really do well, feel Bucks, like... Bucks vs. Revival is, is a pay-per-view main event, is but, it not? Of course, but even, uh, you know, Hangman and, and Omega versus the Revival could be a main event. And... and I, I really do think that there are two ways you can interpret 
putting the belts on an act like Omega and Hangman. You can say that that is two singles guys taking the shine away from the actual tag teams of the tag division, or you can say that that is the company doing exactly what they set out to do, which is put a shine on tag team wrestling because Omega and uh, Hangman do not feel like a thrown-together team of main eventers. They feel like a real tag team. They have a real tag finisher, which is incredible. Uh, you know, this is exactly what the company wanted to do, was take tag wrestling seriously and put their top guys into that division and have it be one of the most exciting things on the show. My final choice, uh, I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened yet. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. to me is maybe the best promo on earth. His <laughs> matches can be a little bit one note, but reliably good and with people of varying styles can hit a real high level. I think it's a matter of time before a company is like, wow, we could really make some big money off this guy. I really think Zack Sabre Jr. is a main eventer in the next five years. JMO, are you ready for our next question? I am. That was a great question from Brenny, and I can't believe we, uh, you know, I just picked all mine off the top of my head right now. So that went well for me, I thought. Well, there, I thought it went terribly for you. <laughs> I don't think I think Picking the revolt? What am I doing over here? Yeah, come on. What are we talking about? No muscles. Tag man. wrestling going to be important? That'll never happen. Please. Former roommate of the show, Mike Noble, writes in with one JMO at Bike Melon, of course. He asks, in sort of a meta question, which moment since the Top Marks hiatus do you wish you could have immediately flipped on the mics and recorded an episode? I have a few of these. Um, I mean, we talked about doing one after the Rumble. And it, it just was there a happened. moment that, that yeah, uh, was there one time where you're like, this is happening? Oh, I wish I could talk about this. I mean, the cuts kind of it's a hard question sure, for me to yeah. answer because I do a show every week anyway. Right. Yeah, know? I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it's like things things sense. will happen. And then I'll be like, well, I just got my show for this week, you know. Right. Uh, no, that I suppose it makes more sense for me. Yes, Mike. Uh, when uh, Lance Archer and Brody Lee debuted, uh, I felt like I had. A great deal to say about their their presentations and sort of the different different ways you can promote a big guy uh, and sort of the payoff of the exalted one and what I thought about that. Yeah, those those would be the the two happenings, I guess. And then they happen but, basically at the same time. So that's a great. That's pick. what I mean. I'm yeah, gonna that, I'm gonna go way episode. off the board on this, Josh, and pick. You uh, already answered. What do you mean? Well, I didn't answer. I said I <laughs> I can't answer because I already do a show. If I had to pick a moment, which well, I didn't so now, do, well. uh, I will say. Uh, Lacey Evans run-in with the Edmonton RCMP. I, had I think we did talk about that. I had so much fun with that. Uh, we talked about it on our year-end show last year, which was like months after it happened. But I had so much fun with that in the moment, doing a show like the day that it happened on the radio, and I wish you and I could have just bounced jokes off each other for like 20 minutes about that topic. Which we absolutely would have. Yeah. Uh, next one here, Madman, comes to us from uh, MVP of the Zang Zone, Zang underscore Zone. This is, of course, our friend uh, Nikki's uh, Twitch channel. I tuned in the other day. Very funny. I recommend it. Oh, his his Instagram stories have just been killing me lately. Oh, and listen, let's, I'm not going to turn this into a commercial, but let's be honest. Nick got us a bottle of whiskey at like 4 a.m. in Toronto by snapping his fingers, and some guy in a car just dropped it off for us. So we at least owe him this. Wow. Uh, I was asleep it, at that point, but uh, I don't know how he did it. Still have to respect that hustle. I don't know how he did it. I was like, yeah, I, I could keep going. He's like, I can get us some whiskey. And like 20 minutes later, some dude in the car just showed up. I, I mean, he had a number, but it was, it was very late, and I was very impressed by the Great Neck East. Uh, and I didn't know this. If you have Amazon Prime, you can just go give a free subscription to something. Really? So I did that. I yeah yeah yeah. 
if you have Amazon Prime, you have like one free Twitch subscription a month. Huh. I don't know this world at all. I, uh, this is just I think I accidentally signed up for Amazon Prime this week. So Oh well go go give Nick a, a sub for free. <laughs> because then. somebody gave me their login and was like because it was like a reciprocal because I'd given them my Disney Plus login. Sure. And they were like, here, ha- help yourself to Amazon Prime. And I was like, you know what? Josh offered to do that many, many months ago and I never took him up on it. I actually sure. will use Amazon Prime this time. And I downloaded the app on PS4, but I don't think there's an option in that app to <laughs> sign into a pre existing account. Yep. It like makes a new account linked to the email that's attached to your PlayStation profile. So it was so like you just I it. hit the sign up button thinking that I could enter my email and password and it was just like <laughs> you're now signed up for Amazon Prime. I was like, "Wait, what? That wasn't supposed to happen." Amazon who? <laughs> yeah, well there there you go. But next question, uh Due to the sudden stop of New Japan Pro Wrestling, does the pandemic tarnish Naito's double title run going forward due to the fact that he will have an asterisk no matter what he can accomplish when he returns to wrestling? Two, what can he or the company do to make his title holding longevity legitimate? Uh, Good question. I think that, you know, if there's any company that I trust with long-term storytelling, it is New Japan. And I don't think just because they've been on hold when they resume, they're going to skip to where they would have been in the natural timeline. You know, whatever they had planned for Naito's run is what they're going to do still. So, See, I fear that you're wrong. I fear that the G1 is already was planned. And when the G1 can go, what's going to happen was going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I just trust them to, to do what they wanted to do all along. And uh, I I don't know that there's any way that we look back on this run as anything short of epic in the end. You just have to do what you were always going to do. And that's the, you know, all you can do, I think. Yeah, I mean, th- this year was going to be Bullet Club versus LIJ. That was obviously what they had set up. Uh, and I suspect you'll probably still get the big matches out of that. But yeah, I hear you. It, it sucks that like... At the peak of his momentum, when the story was finally fulfilled, all this happened. Like, it, it undeniably takes the foot off the gas, right? Oh, yeah, um, for sure. But on, on the flip side, there's been rumors for, what, a year and a half that Naito's back is just, like, held together by by duct tape and tacks. So this so, break is probably great for him. Yeah, if this is a time for old boy to maybe get on some of the gas and get some rehab going and uh, get the back together, you know, there, there could be an upside to it as well. Yeah, come back with some real longevity on the other side. Next question this week, Mad Mac, comes to us from the Dr. Fruits Are Edible, PhD at Fruits Are Edible. And he asks, which retired wrestler do you think would have thrived the most if they were active during the current no crowd era? Hmm. Easy uh, answer for me. Yeah? yeah. Chick Magnet Punk. Okay. Uh, this guy was uh, already an all-time master at getting me interested in things that I didn't find very interesting, like him versus Alberto Del Rio. He, uh, he, I imagine, would be able to captivate mostly like he already did. He's my answer. You have to be able to talk. For sure. Know? That's a big component is like just promo during your matches, whether it's against your opponent, whether it's against things you overheard the commentators saying. Uh, and so for that reason, I'm going to reach way, way back and uh, go with uh, two gentlemen. Jake the Snake Roberts, whose promos are 
terrific on a nightly basis still, even on AEW. Very sexist. He was very sexist this week, but in a way that was so over the top, I did find it funny. Like, I well, was you a also happen to agree with him. <laughs> I was a little bit turned <laughs> off by like how rote and cliche it was, but when he got to the part about... If it's extremely cold, and if she's lucky, she might be able to warm me up on a cold night. I thought that was really, really good. But his promos on this entire run with Lance Archer have been so, so good. And his promos back in the day were amazing as well. So, you know, I I, I got uh, some love for the guy on that level and think he would be uh, terrific. Uh, if he w- if he was able to be his younger self in this exact moment, another guy, obviously a gifted talker, obviously gifted in the ring, Roddy Piper, I think would be killing it right now too. Yeah, he crossed my mind for this uh, as well. Okay, Jamo, quick answers on these next little bit because we got a few and we're an hour and a half deep into the sun. <laughs> we sure are. We gotta we gotta burn some off now. The next one comes to us from my sushi friend Mike Cyclops at the Maddie Mac, and he asks, "Will Orange Cassidy win the TNT Championship in 2020?" Uh, I'm gonna say yes. Yeah, it feels it feels likely to me as well. I I, uh, I could see it happening. Now again, who knows how plans go in in the quarantine zone? But uh, but yeah, I would say that there's there's a good chance. I really hope you know it being the TV title essentially that it is really actively defended on television a lot, and that it changes hands on television as well. So I don't even think it needs to be like a pay per view moment. Even I could see Orange Cassidy winning this thing on a on a dynamite before the year is done. This next one here comes to us from our dear friend, the third Mark Ryan Shap at Shap Top here asks, realistically book the next off-site WWE match. So one of these cinematic matches. Madman, you got something in mind? I don't. This is really, really difficult. I don't know who else has, uh, you know, natural settings attached to their character. I guess if Roman came back, you could do... Uh, a big dog's yard match, I guess. We already had a boneyard match, but uh, uh, yeah, I could see them doing something like that. Roman, uh, you know, versus whoever in a, in a cinematic match. I, I could see something to that effect. It's just hard to come up with, uh, with, with locations, though I guess if I flip companies... It seems natural to have a, a Britt Baker dentist office Oh, match. that's a fun one, yeah. Okay, uh, for me, I'm gonna go with uh, Alistair Black fighting in a cathedral. Uh, but I'm gonna do it. But I'm gonna do it completely different than the Boneyard match because I know that it's instantly gonna draw a comparison. The Boneyard match was going B movie sort of schmaltz in a good way. I like the board, uh, the match to be clear. I'm not I'm not dumping on it when I say this. Yeah. But I want the cathedral match to have the feel of like two guys meeting in a warehouse to settle a grudge where it doesn't matter what anyone else knows. It's the two of them. They're going to fight in the quiet. It's going to be cut really close and dark. Lots of strikes. I actually think Sheamus would be a great person to do this against. Uh, yeah, that's my answer. It's the Aleister Black Cathedral match, a serious, empty cathedral, stained glass yeah, all over. The st- stained glass lighting has to factor into this huge. Yeah, going through pews. And uh, as we hit the final act of the match, like I need the guys to wrestle into, you know, like a big uh, uh, thing holding up like lit candles that tip over and like light the place on fire. I want the building to be burning as we're heading towards the climax of this thing. That can happen, but I have the finish of the match, which is Alistair Black baptizes you in his cathedral by getting you up above a, a pool of water surrounded by candles and hits the black mass and you sell into the water oh that's great 
Ah, uh, yeah, you've done a, you've done your homework here. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm improvising, and it's not working out for me. <laughs> Next one here, JMO comes to us from Fred the Alien at Fred the Alien three sixteen, and he asks, "What do you guys think of the Bubbly Bunch promos? For me, I absolutely love them and laugh my ass off. Jericho is the best." Uh, I haven't necessarily missed them since they stopped doing them. Yeah, but at the time, they were a much needed injection of energy into the shows certainly in the old uh taping format when it was a little bit more uh you know subdued relative to the size of the venue and the size of the crowd uh they're working in front of right now i i really enjoyed them honestly i i thought they were great fun and and a really good way for sammy Guevara in particular to showcase his personality which i think has just been terrific like sammy is sammy should have been a part of our five and five honestly because that feels like a pretty safe bet i loved him on dynamite this week just like waddling out to the ring with a neck brace and yeah that was a big old neck brace too yeah it was great uh yeah i uh hmm yeah i think they're maybe inconsistent i can think of stuff i like and don't like about them if i'm being yeah that's fair that's fair uh but like, Hager always is super wooden in them, I feel like, but maybe that's even a little bit funny in its own way. But yeah, the Jericho Guevara interplay is awesome. I thought the uh, one that they did that was like the take on the like stuntman meme of just, yeah, like, people yeah, punching each other into the phone. I thought yeah, that, that was one so was good. good. And listen, man, Fred nails it here at the end. Jericho's the best. Jericho doesn't miss much these days. Like, if Jericho's involved in like a semi humor based um, moment, I probably enjoyed it to some level. Dude, Jericho like, just made Pineapple Pete's career. Like, that true. guy has a... Even if he never does anything else, just from feuding with Chris Jericho uh, on commentary and then having a, a, a match where he got to get a little bit of offense in at the start before he was squashed in the end, like, that guy can hit the convention circuit for the rest of his life. Yeah, he's, he's, he's laughing right now. Sell pineapple shirts to anybody. J-Mo, next one comes to us from Boofer OC. Our dear friend, Boof, of course. Quarantine is over, and the two of you are about to hit the town for the first time. You're all primed and ready to go, but you have to get the hair under control. Unfortunately, the only cuts the barber knows belong to pro wrestlers. Choose one for you and your pal. All right. Uh, I I have to pick for you and for me? Yeah. Okay, you're going to be Road Warrior Animal, and I'm going to be Road <laughs> Warrior Hawk. <laughs> well, that was easy. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, just trying to you... work around my general baldness here. <laughs> no, for, for you, well, I could pick any hair, right? Like, the idea is you could just have the hair, right? Yeah, I don't true, have I guess, I guess, yeah. I'm giving you uh, the Chris Jericho top knot with the two braids off the side. I feel like that's real hit the city hair. You okay. know the hair I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, Love that hair. And uh, I'm being selfish and giving myself Tetsuya Naito's hair. Okay, well, if I'm allowed to have hair here... If, if I'm not working around my own baldness, then I will give myself uh, the hair of Robert Gibson, and you will have the hair of Ricky Morton. <laughs> Today, by the way, the hair they have right now. Oh, oh I get the big white mullet? Thank you. That's uh, You know, these days my hair does look more and more like uh, Mr. Morton, all due respect. Uh, J-Mo, just a yes or no on this one from <laughs> Whoopi Goldust at It Looks Real. This is not my old nemesis flube. He says, wouldn't it be a much better idea to find a way for Seth Rollins to carry Becky Lynch's baby so she can stay on TV and he can go away? 
Yes. Yeah, definitely. Though I will say, what were we talking about last week? Seth's character needs a tweak. Like, I'm not feeling this Messiah thing. Yeah. Him being completely despondent, both because he lost his big match and because he got shown up as a leader by Drew McIntyre, and he he found out that he's going to be a father. Like, uh, I, I like to think that it is a combination of all of those things that led to his performance on Monday, but I thought he was great on Monday. I loved it. And JMO, two more quickly. Thick boy season at Blair Pacheco. Fuck Mary Kill, the best friends in Orange Cassidy. Well, you marry Orange Cassidy, obviously. I totally disagree. Wow, okay. You want to be married to Orange Cassidy? Yeah, he seems like a great guy, man. It seems like that that whole thing okay. might get a little okay. old maybe two I'm, years into marriage. Maybe I'll marry Trent Beretta instead, but I was going to pick Trent as the fuck because he's clearly the hottest. Okay, so I'm marrying Dustin. I'm I'm marrying, without question, Big Dust. Okay. okay. Seems the nicest, the most fun. He's always he's hilarious on Twitter, loves drinking. Seems uh, like he and I would have a time. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I guess. I... All right, you're, so you're marrying Trent. I'm marrying Dustin. Who are you fucking? Well, I guess I'll skip straight to, to kill if I can, if I'm allowed to. Go ahead. I'm killing yeah, Chuck please. Taylor. And I like Oh, my God. You're, I, you're killing I, Chuck Taylor. I like Chuck. But the Kentucky gentleman. But I'm killing him because he, oh my God. he came off as the biggest idiot in the history <laughs> of wrestling matches on Dynamite really this did. week when he held up his own partner to receive a doomsday device after he had received no offense himself. Like hit my tag team partner, please. <laughs> yes, like Trent was dazed on his shoulders. But Dustin could have just let his guy down at any point, yeah, that, and he that didn't. And then he just wandered into taking a bunch of like finishers and signatures. the The way that Jurassic Express fired up and had their babyface comeback on Dynamite this week made Chuck Taylor look like the biggest jamoke of all time. So I'm gonna kill Listen, him. No one's gonna, gonna kill him. No one's gonna like this. I, I'm killing Orange Cassidy for sure in this one. It's not even. It's not even tricky. For I'm me. marrying Orange Cassidy. I'm fucking Dustin. Uh, or I'm killing Dustin, and I'm Mary uh, fucking Greg. Wow. Yeah, that's so we're both. Are we both fucking Trent? Uh, no, I'm marrying. Uh, yeah, yeah marrying I am fucking Trent. Trent. I am. Yeah, I'm marrying Orange Cassidy. Because we're both fucking Trent. I'm killing Orange Cassidy. You're marrying him, and I'm marrying Dustin, which is going to be way more fun. Two uh, two months into your marriage, you're going to be like, hey, want to go do something fun? I'm like. Mm. But that's me, though. I don't really want to do anything either. <laughs> well, okay. Well, there. You, maybe, maybe you and Orange Cassidy is the marriage uh, made made in heaven. He yeah. is not for me. He is not my partner. That's Haley Ray. All okay. Right. Uh, our final one, JMO, sending the kids home happy. It's uh, from our pal Cullen, the comic John Cullen, with another Cullen classic here, Madman. This question includes both. What you've stated publicly and in the DMs. That's mm. two very different me's. <laughs> when the <laughs> pandemic first hit and empty arenas and such became a possibility, everybody had takes about it. Mm-hmm. What has turned out to be your best or worst takes about wrestling in the time of Corona? Uh, I've got a stinker. I've got, I've got a pretty bad one. Okay, you can go ahead. I thought that it might be a nice change for a while. Because, 
listen, man, crowds are a part of the problem sometimes. Like, yeah. that's, there's there's no, I thought there was, like, maybe a way that it's like, oh, wrestlers might be able to perform in a more honest baby face and heel way without having to pander to people who have already made up their minds about how they're going to respond. I take that back, and I miss the people. Uh, I think my worst take might have been after the first week of the Dynamite tapings. I said Jericho was bad on commentary. I oh, him, I found yeah, him really that's, that's annoying a... in week one, and I was obviously proven wrong over the rest of his run, where he went on to be one of the better color commentators we've seen in a very long time, I feel like. So I got to eat some crow on that one. I feel like he's especially good for these empty arena shows because he's constantly going and has so much personality that he does help fill that space a little bit. I don't know that I would want him talking over every match because he does inject himself into it a lot Mm -hmm. but i find for these times he's actually kind of like really good like i think it's like he's the right guy for the time uh yeah no and he was he he got a lot of like he he and punk was the same way when punk was on commentary and miz is the same way anytime miz is ever a guest commentator those guys really really know how to get themselves over as a heel commentator without diminishing the heel that's in the ring you know, they're building everyone up and themselves at yes. the same time. Uh, although also credit to Samoa Joe, who's been a really glowing commentator, I think, so oh, far yeah. in his short absolutely. run. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jamo, that sends us home for it. That's, well, we need uh, our takes that aged well as well. And I can't for- remember if I had any. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember having that many takes about the empty arena wrestling. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I, th- I was very confident that the Boneyard match was going to be good. Uh, I, I seem to remember. And okay. um, other than that, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I will say, yeah, one of my strong takes was that certain things should not happen <laughs> under quarantine. Like, for oh, example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Edge's big comeback. And uh, I think I have been proven right on that, probably, even though Edge and Orton were very entertaining again this week, and the build to that match was fantastic, and even the end of the match was great. I still think it was a mistake to do all this Edge stuff without a crowd, and uh, I don't know that history's proven me right on that necessarily, but that's something that I haven't wavered in the entire time. Like, I don't think they should be doing this. You've actually jogged my memory. Uh, I can think of my best take. I said that... Uh... Edge and Randy Orton was going to be the perfect length, the exact right <laughs> amount of time. I figured that was a match. They were just going to, I was like, the right people are involved. These are two natural storytellers. These are guys who are going to know to the second how to do this specific match. And I think obviously that's age. Of course, incredibly. impeccably. Like, yeah. you, you were bang on. Yeah. Well, when you're right, you're right. Meet Hammer, you know? <laughs> when you're right, you're right. <laughs> Oh, Jamo, anything you want to say to the folks out there before uh, we head home for the week? Uh, just that it's nice to do this again on a weekly basis, and I, I, I have a feeling that you and I, it might not be every week, but we are going to be uh, doing this a lot more regularly than we have been over the last, let's say, eight months or so. Yeah. Uh, and it feels great. Like, I, I really look forward to it. I have a great time chatting with uh, my hashtag good friend, and I Me hope too. that people are happy that we're back as well. So, um yeah, keep uh, keep your eyes on this feed because it's not going to be as dormant as it had been recently. 
Yeah, uh, we're also talking about different ways of releasing it. I think there's a chance that the normal show part of it goes behind a Patreon wall. Uh, I'll just be honest. I think the the money would be decent right now. Not a bad time to have that coming in. Yeah, I'm really not working a whole heck of a lot and could probably use a little bit of additional income as well. So if, I hate to if, be so honest, but uh, if in the there's... end we do like a one hour show every every week and the, and the mailbag portion goes on Patreon or what have you, uh, the, that yeah. that that might be something we're looking at down the line. If you have thoughts and ideas. You can always, of course, reach out to us on Twitter uh, via the show's feed, which is at Top Marks Pod. You can find me at Justin Morris. And, of course, you can find Josh at J0SHC. See, you you nail it. Matt Matt says that's hard to hard to say and remember, J0SHC. Uh, no, uh, you know, I've got some... <laughs> I've put in some practice. Yeah, you've got you've done your ten thousand hours of saying that Twitter handle. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, it is hard. My instinct is to say Josh C when I'm saying it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jazero S C. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. This is this is enough spent on your Twitter handle. I think we can. Are you on. sure? I have a great ten minutes here on my Twitter handle. <laughs> I thought we might just close the show out. Tight on. ten minutes. On yeah, your it's a tight Twitter ten. <laughs> you ever you ever notice how it's. It's lowercase, but then the zero is like looks like an uppercase. Uh, so what's the deal with using <laughs> numbers instead of letters? I don't know if it's a character or a numeric. A is one. What is O? <laughs> no one asked for this. No, they did not. They're they're now no longer glad we're back. But if they are, they can say along with us. Pepperoni sticks. Say yeah. Do we still do like talking about the, the movies out? Chat zone. I don't know. I haven't. I barely watched any movies in. I'm playing more games. Yeah, same. I'm really surprised at that. I thought I would just dive into film over the last couple months here, but uh, I've watched much less than I was in, in regular life at this time last year. So who knows? Haley and I went like ape shit on watching a ton right out the gate, but now we do sort of like big movie nights which i like mm-hmm. like we like plan around it's like okay we'll turn off all the lights and like pick a like a big title and we'll put the phones away and like really pay attention to this and turn on the surround sound when, when I, I do watch movies i have been watching like three in one night okay so yeah, like yeah, the yeah, actual nights spent that i've spent watching movies over this break is like pitiful like right because they're all coming in like a mad dash basically though i did watch all three of the prequel star wars movies <laughs> apologies to matt we just didn't have time to do that question oh yeah sorry you found hang on you, you're not watching movies except for the three star wars prequels uh yeah jd wanted to watch them because the chapo crew had put out commentaries for them Oh, okay. So we we watched them with the commentary, and I thought the commentary was largely redundant. Sorry to my friends at Chapo Trap House, but uh, I watched them before Force Awakens. It was the last time I watched them, or will ever watch them. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. Oh God, man! I they're, they're one of the rare things in life where people are like, when the shitting on is like mostly earned. I like I was episode surprised. two is abhorrent. I'm I was surprised by how much I liked Attack of the Clones. Actually, stop it. Like there's obviously that. there's obviously like just horrendous shit in that movie, but there's really good stuff in it too. Honestly, like what? Well, they, they like the stuff. the fifties diner that's operated by uh you know Dex Mex or whatever his name is. You liked one of the settings that <laughs> well, no, I, I just genuinely like the Obi Wan plot in that movie that where it's like a detective noir and you get to see the Jedi doing actual police work. I do enjoy that a lot. 
Yeah, that eight minutes of screen time that culminates in a fight he doesn't finish as a backdrop to Anakin and Padme sitting on some planet you've never heard of before really redeems the thing. Hey, until next week! (laughs) 